Amen. Was well, the bucket passes your row? Go ahead and open your Bible to Matthew chapter five. Uh, we've been in this series called "Bless This Home," and we've been looking at the beatitudes of Jesus. Uh, these statements where Jesus gives us the keys to being blessed. And so we actually finished up last week. We looked at how we are blessed when we are persecuted, uh, and we finished up the beatitudes. But what I wanted to do today is go into the next part of Jesus's message. Uh, Jesus didn't just stop there. This wasn't one conversation, then he moved on to another conversation. This was actually uh, what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are all part of this one conversation Jesus was having with his followers, this one stream uh, of his thoughts. And so these aren't disconnected ideas. These are intimately connected. And I want to show you a very famous, very familiar to many of us passage of Scripture and, and help us to see how it actually connects to the keys to being blessed that Jesus gave us. But in the series, we've been looking not just on how to be blessed, but specifically how to be blessed as a family. What we've seen is that so many of us wouldn't really say my family is blessed, my home is blessed. Our American homes are, are so often uh, characteristics of strife. Man, there, there's struggle, there's fighting, there's junk in our homes. There's so much stuff going on, even in our quote-unquote Christian homes. We've seen that somewhere between 80 and 85 percent of Americans would call themselves Christians, and yet we don't see 80 to 85 percent of homes who have the blessings of Jesus transparent and evident in their lives. And we believe that we can have those blessings, that we can access those blessings, but they come through obeying his word. And so we're going to see kind of what some of those blessings will lead to in our lives. And so Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13, we're just going to read four verses today. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. Look at somebody next to you and say, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it ever be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the salt of the earth. And he goes on to make a similar but different statement. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Now look at your second choice, the person you didn't talk to last time, and tell them, you are the light of the world. So you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, what's interesting about this, and I've preached on this passage before. In fact, we did a mission trip to New York City when I was youth pastor here back in 2010. And this was our theme for the trip, light up the world, that we're going to let our lights shine. And I've preached this in other contexts before. What I've never done before is actually seen the connection between what Jesus was saying in the Beatitudes and what he's saying here. And I think the connection is so important. If you remember back to our final beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on and talks more about how we are blessed when people say false things about us. We are blessed when we are persecuted. We are blessed when all this stuff happens against us because we are identified with Jesus. And what you have to do is you have to put yourself in the mindset of these first hearers of Jesus. I mean, for us, this 
We've, we've heard these passages our whole life, many of us, and it's still hard to wrap my brain around. It's, I'm blessed when I'm persecuted. When people talk bad about me, that's a blessing. It doesn't feel like a blessing. It's still a struggle for me, and yet I've been taught this for, from as long as I can remember. Well, Jesus' first hearers, they didn't have that benefit. This is the first time they're hearing anything like this. And so you can imagine the pushback. You can imagine the weight. You said that backwards, right, Jesus? That's not blessed. That's when we're cursed. That's not what we want to happen. That's not a good thing. I don't want to be persecuted. And all of a sudden, they're starting to say, do I really want to follow this guy? He says, if I follow him, people are going to hate me. If I follow him, people are going to talk trash about me. If I follow him, all this stuff is going to follow with me, and I'm not sure that I want that stuff. And so they're starting to push back. They're starting to be uncomfortable with what Jesus is saying, and all of a sudden he says, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. What do those things have in common? They mean you stand out. Salt stands out in food. Light stands out in darkness. And so just as they're about to shrink back, just as they're about to say, you know what? I'm not sure if this is really for me. I'm going to follow you from a distance. I'm going to hear what you say, and I'm going to listen to it, and I'm going to try to put it into practice in my life, but nobody needs to know about it because I'm not really sure I want to do this persecution thing. Jesus comes right at them and says, no, you're the salt and you're the earth, and you're the light. And if you're going to follow me, you got to shine. you got to stand out. It's not an option. And there's a massive connection between Jesus saying, blessed are the persecuted, and then him declaring to them, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He's telling them, you're going to stick out. Embrace it. Grab hold of it. Love it. It's the way I've designed it to work. So you and your family, like me, you want God's blessing on your home. You want God's blessing on your children. You want your kids to grow up and love you. You want your kids to grow up and love their mother, love their father, love each other. Wow, what if that happened? What if our kids actually liked each other, right? What, what would that look like? Could that even be possible? I think it is. I think when we truly put the teachings of Jesus into practice, our family's going to be different. Our family doesn't have to look like these disjointed, strife-filled, bickering, bitter families that we're surrounded with. Our family can love each other and love God. Our family can be different, and Jesus gives us the key, but he says if you're going to be different, it's going to stand out. There is no incognito Christianity. There is no such thing as being a Christian on the DL. If you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christ follower, you're going to stand out. And so the statement that we've wrapped this series around, the statement that that all of us need to embrace for ourselves if we're really going to see God's blessings in our families is this. We are not just a Christian family. We are a Christ-centered home. See, because Christian families in this culture look a lot like the unchristian families in this culture. That word Christian has lost its meaning. It's lost its significance. We're all kind of Christian by default. But we're not just going to be a Christian family. We're rising to the level of a Christ-centered home where our decisions revolve around Jesus. Our thoughts revolve around Jesus. Our actions revolve around the Word of God and His commands for our lives. 
We're a Christ-centered home, and if we're going to be blessed, we must be that Christ-centered home. And when we do that, when we truly center on him, we're going to stand out. That's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. The world needs salt and it needs light, and that's what we're going to see today. So here's our key thought for today, not just for the series, but just specifically for today, is that Christ-centered homes will be salt and light in the world. If your home is centered on Christ, you're going to be salt and you're going to be light. Let me ask you some questions. Does your life, does your home, does your family cause others to deny Christ or does it cause others to acknowledge his existence? Because ultimately that's what the light of the world does, that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven to the way that you interact with each other, the way that you interact with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with the people God has placed around you in your world, does it cause people to see Jesus more glorified or does it cause them to see Jesus less significant? And for some of us, that may not be an easy question to wrestle with today. For some of us, we may not like our answer. And I would echo Jimmy, who echoed Pastor Perry Noble, and say, if you're not, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Man, it's okay to be messed up today. It's okay to not like your answers to these questions, but it's not okay to walk out of here and be the same because Jesus has power, and he has power to change, and he wants to change us today. He wants to fill us today. He wants to make us the salt and the light that he designed us to be. So let's talk about some implications of this this morning. What did Jesus mean when he said that we are salt and we are light? And how do we apply it in the context of our home? Just three thoughts for you today on these ideas. First of all, let's talk about salt. Salt had two primary functions in ancient Israel. In the first century Middle East, the the context that Jesus was speaking in, salt had two functions. And there's people, you can go online and you can Google what does it mean to be the salt of the earth. And people have developed 53 different things that salt means. And you can probably learn some stuff from that. And there's some some things that you can apply to your life uh, that, that would be great. But I think it's important for us to really get at what was Jesus actually saying. Uh, it's very important anytime we come to Scripture is what, what did this actually mean when it was being said? And then we can look for application. So first of all, what did it mean when it was said? Well, when it was said, it basically meant two things. Salt had two distinguishing purposes in this day and age. The first one is the easy one that we probably most commonly associate with salt, flavored food, right? They used it for flavor. Uh, salt is, man, it makes food better, Right? Uh, some people, like, you can't live without a whole lot of salt on your food. Like, you addicted to McDonald's French fries. They're like crack because they put so much salt on those things, right? And you just got to get some more, got to get some more, got to get some more. And we'd all deny it. No, we hate McDonald's. We're better than McDonald's. But we all know when it comes down to it, we got a chance to eat a McDonald's French fry. Most of us don't say no, right? Because uh, the, the salt It's the power of salt. It's flavor. We embrace it. We love it. Well, it had another purpose, which I think was even more significant back then. Salt wasn't just for flavor. Salt was a preservative. You see, in that day and age, they didn't have refrigeration. In fact, refrigeration is a marvel of the modern world. It's an incredible gift that we have. Side note, so is air conditioning. Praise Jesus for air conditioning in Mississippi. Not related to my message, but sometimes I just got to testify that God is good. Uh, so, uh, But refrigeration is a new thing, and so we don't think about 
the need to, to keep stuff fresh the way that they did. But uh, salt was a preservative. It was applied especially to meat. When, a, when a, any animal went to be butchered, uh, that meat would be immediately uh, treated with salt. It would be rubbed down with salt. It would be stored in a bed of salt. And then it would be shipped off wherever it needed to go. It would go to market, whatever, because that salt would allow the meat to not rot. To, to not go bad, to not spoil. And so remember, Jesus' disciples are who he's primarily speaking to here. There's a massive crowd that he's speaking to as well, but his primary purpose is training his disciples. Who were his disciples? Primarily, they were fishermen. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the world, these dudes loved salt. Salt was life. When they pulled a catch out of the water, by the time they got back on the shore, that stuff was going to be salted almost immediately. Salt was life. It was the key to their economic existence. If they ran out of salt, they couldn't make any money. So when Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth, he's saying, you are the key. You're the thing that keeps this whole thing going. And so I want you to see, number one, first and foremost, that Christ-centered families will preserve the world around them. In other words, as the salt of the world, the salt of the earth, we will protect the world from spoiling. Our job is to protect the world from going bad. Our job is to keep the culture from deviating off of the calling that God has for it. You see, there's natural evil in this world. In fact, all of us are evil outside of Christ. We're all enemies of God before we come to him. And those who are still enemies of God cause a lot of destruction. In fact, a lot of people who are quote-unquote Christian cause a lot of destruction. But as true followers of Jesus, as true Christ-centered disciples, our job is to protect the world. Now, there's all kinds of injustice out here, and your family may grab hold of one of these that, hey, we feel like God's really causing us to make a stand against this. In fact, I think every family should have at least something that causes them to take a stand, something that gets them fired up, something that causes them to say, you know what, we are not for this. We're going to make a difference in this area. For example, it's Memorial Day. It's been all over the news lately. There's been some mistreatment of our veterans in our VA hospitals. My dad was a Marine. My dad goes to the VA hospital. This bothers me. Man, the people who have laid their life on the line for our freedom should be treated better than they're being treated. And so maybe for your family, you say, we're going to stand up for our veterans. Maybe for your family, you've heard the stories of the, the child soldiers in Africa, and man, we're, we're going to shut down Coney. We're going after this guy. We're going to take a stand. We're going to send money. We're going to do whatever it takes to get these 9, 10, 12-year-olds out of these militias and allow them to go back home to be safe. Maybe for you, you want to stand up for the rights of the unborn and the fact that 50 million Americans have died at the hands of abortion since it was made legal. That bothers you. And you say, you know what? This is something that's going to define our family. We're going to take a stand. We're going to be the salt of the earth, and we're going to stand up to preserve life because salt preserves. Maybe for you, the stand that God is calling you to make is against sex trafficking. And you're going to shut this thing down. And there's 26 million people on planet Earth right now who are in slavery. And you say, you know what? I'm not okay with this. We're going to end this thing. We're going to end it now. 
And that's the thing that, that God speaks to you and your family about. I'm not saying you need to make a stand against all of these things. In fact, I would recommend not because you can spread yourself too thin and not make a difference in anything. But God has called us to be light and salt, and salt preserves. Salt keeps things from going bad, and we, as God's people, need to make a stand. In fact, there's a, a missionary family that, that this church sponsored this week for the very first time. Uh, the, the man's name is Jason White. And Jason and his, his wife and their kids are raising money to go to Chile, Chile uh, because every year in Chile, there's around 2,000 women who are abducted and sent overseas to Thailand and to China and the Philippines and other parts of the world in sex trafficking. And they're going to go right into the heart of this thing and begin to fight it and keep these women from being abducted, keep these women from being sent off across the world. And so this church has taken a stand. You know what? We're going to unite with you. We're going to partner with you and believe, God, that you are going to bring these women out of this bondage because salt preserves. You can't fix everything. And every issue will not grab you the same way it grabs someone else. But your kids need to see that you stand for something. That God's people stand for something. That there's something that distinguishes us. There's something that causes us to stand up and say, you know what, this isn't okay. Historically, Christians have done this in so many contexts. In fact, the abolition movement that shut down slavery, it actually started in England with a man of God who took a stand and said, you know what, This isn't okay. And that abolition movement spread across the world primarily through churches, primarily through God's people who said, we're not going to do this anymore. This isn't okay. People can't be treated this way. And so maybe for you that cause is racial harmony or racial justice. Whatever that cause happens to be in your life that you see something that is wrong, something that is against God's plan for the world, salt preserves we got to stand up. Secondly, Christ-centered families, if we're going to be salt, it means that we're going to enhance the world around us. Again, salt's primary function in our day and age and the thing that we most associate with salt and the second purpose back then, salt makes stuff taste good. Salt makes stuff better. Salt enhances. And so as the salt of the earth, your job, Christ-centered individual, your job as a Christ-centered home is to make the world around you better. We're blessed to be a blessing. It goes back to Genesis chapter 12, to the very calling of Abraham, to the covenant that God made with him. He said, I'm going to bless you and all nations on earth are going to be blessed because of you. And as heirs, according to that promise, as Christians who have been grafted in to the promise of Israel, we are blessed to be a blessing and the world around us should be better. Jesus lays out all these keys for us in the Beatitudes on if you do this, you will be blessed, and if you do this, you will be blessed, and if you do this, you will be blessed. But he doesn't do that so we can hoard God's blessing onto ourselves. He does that so we can be blessing agents into the communities that he's placed us in. So where there is strife, we will make peace. Where there is sorrow, we are to be his agents of healing, binding up the brokenhearted, where there is hatred, we are to exemplify Christ's love. We are not to return evil for good, but we will return, we're not to return evil for evil, but we're going to respond to evil with good. The world around us should be enhanced. It should be blessed. This is something that I believe is a, a big part of our DNA here at City Church. Uh, our mission statement is reaching our city by reaching one. And we built that off of Proverbs 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 11. And Proverbs 11, 11 says that through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. We believe that Olive Branch should be better because God put a church here. 
that if this community isn't making an impact, it, that doesn't mean that they know it. It's not so they can glorify City Church. It's so they can glorify Jesus. They don't have to know it's City Church. But if we don't know what's the difference we're making in the community, then why have church? Why come together? There's no point in it. God's put us here that the city would be exalted, that the city would be uplifted because he grabbed a whole group of crazy Christ-centered Christians who chose we're going to be salt, we're not going to be like everybody else, and we're going to make this place better. We're going to be a blessing. One of the things that, that we've always done in our mission OB, except for this very last one uh, that we did, which had a very specific purpose towards Easter, is we hand out these cards, and these cards say, we just want to show you that Jesus loves you. So we give away free clothes, and we hand out a card that says, we just want to show you the love of Jesus. We wash a car for free, and people are blown away, and they want to give you money. And we're like, no, we're just showing the love of Jesus today. Or we, we have a, a, some free food out in the park, or whatever that particular Mission OB outreach looks like. We're giving out these cards. Hey, we're just here to show the love of Jesus. And we're trying to push down in, into ourselves. You know what? This isn't about us. It's not about City Church. We're not trying to exalt the name of City Church. We're trying to exalt the name of Jesus. We want people to see him. And salt will enhance the community around us. Let's go back to the section of this passage, uh, the, the final section of this passage on light. Because I want it to be fresh as we go into our third and final point today. Uh, Matthew 5, verse 14 and 16 says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Light is an extremely familiar concept to us. We all get what light does, right? This is not when I have to explain. This isn't when I have to break down and get into the physics like we understand light the same way that they would have understand stood light back in their day and age. Light illuminates. It shines. And so the third key for us as Christ-centered families, if we're going to be salt and light, is we need to know that Christ-centered families shine the light of Christ to the world around them. Christ-centered families will shine. We have a dog named Sonic, and I brought some pictures of Sonic here to share with you today. So go ahead and put that first picture of Sonic up if you got that. Okay, that's our dog. That's, that's Christmas Sonic. I've got a couple more. Go ahead and do the next one. This is uh, Rebellious Sonic, who just tore up our backyard uh, and uh, got all nice and muddy in a rainstorm. And then the next one, this is Romantic Sonic. That's Siri. That's Tripp and Samantha's dog. Uh, who he's making out with right there. So that, that's our boy. And uh, Sonic is uh, it's a big part of our life. Like, I don't know if you guys are dog people, but when you have a dog, like, the dog kind of makes sure that you know that he's there, right? Uh, and so we love Sonic. We spend a lot of time talking to Sonic and talking about Sonic. And uh, Sonic is a little bit spoiled, I don't know if your pets are this way, but Sonic's a little bit spoiled. He's got like a ton of toys, and so we'll clean out under the bed, and we'll find like four of his toys here, and, and all over the house, we've got all these little dog toys, and some of those dog toys are nice and soft and plush, and some of them are not. Uh, some of them are a little rough, plastic, jagged almost, and so uh, every once in a while, I'll get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom and walk around in the dark, and I will step on one of Sonic's toys. Uh, and I just instantly begin praising Jesus right there. Um, 
because I'm just that good of a Christian. No, uh, it's not usually the way that it goes. Uh, I, I get a little angry, a little upset, and then I want to yell at the dog, but I can't do that because then I wake up my wife and she's pregnant, and it's just, you know, so I just got to bite my lip and my tongue, and oh my gosh, uh, it hurts. And I, I, we don't have kids yet, but I've heard that Legos are the greatest gift to your feet. Um, I just can't wait. Looking forward to that one immensely. Uh, so I'm sure all you guys are going to bless us with Legos now. Thank you in advance. Uh, but uh, So Sonic, he'll do this, not all the time, but every once in a while this will happen. So I, I try to remember if I wake up to go to the restroom, I try to grab my phone because that cell phone light will guide my way and I can watch my steps and make sure that I don't step on something. And I know this is super elementary and super basic and you're going to be like, Duh, you didn't even need to explain this, but I want you to see it. When I have that cell phone light, the light causes that toy to appear, but it didn't make the toy suddenly get there. The toy was already there. All that the light does is it helped me to see it. And so your job, my job, as a Christ-centered individual, as a Christ-centered home, we're not making Jesus appear out of nowhere. He's already there. The light of Jesus is already in your neighborhood. The light of Jesus is already in your school. The light of Jesus is already at your workplace. All you are doing is helping other people to see him. You're just helping it to suddenly appear to people's eyes. Because you see, what the Bible teaches us in 1 Corinthians is that Satan is the prince of this world. And he still has some power here. He still has some authority here. And it says that the prince of this world has blinded the eyes of unbelievers so that they cannot see. And so they know know that Jesus is right there in front of them. They don't understand that his love is being poured out into their life. They don't understand the grace that he's already extended towards them. They don't realize that the God of this world left heaven and came to earth to die on a cross to pay the price for their sins. They don't even know. And so God says, you, I'm choosing you as my follower to go into their world and to be the light so that they can finally see, so that their eyes can be opened to the truth that was already around them. Jesus says, bring them the light. Your family should be in the business of illumination. Your family should be in the business of helping people to see. You make the love of Jesus show up in people's lives. How are you doing that? What things are you doing to show that love of Jesus? Well, our job is to show his love. Our job is to help people to see. And notice in verse 16, it's such a key part of this passage because some would say, well, you need to just keep your faith to yourself. You need to keep your faith private. Some would say, don't do good deeds for others to see because, man, you're going to get a big head. You're going to be doing it for yourself, for your own glory. But Jesus says that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. So here's the trick. Here's the challenge. Here's the thing that the enemy likes to come in and do. You start getting good at this, you start showing the love of Jesus, all of a sudden it starts to become about you. Hey, we want our neighbors to see, man, we're really good people. We're really nice people. We're really loving people. All of a sudden, before you even realize it, a switch can flip, and instead of it being about Jesus, suddenly it becomes about you. Man, I want them to see I'm a man of God. I want them to see what a great communicator I am. I want somebody to see this and something that started out with good intentions. I'm going to let my light shine so people can see Jesus. If we're not careful, we can drift. And it becomes about letting my light shine so people can see me. 
And I'm guilty of this as much as anybody. And so we've got to constantly be checking ourselves, constantly be looking into our own heart and saying, God, why am I doing this? Because I need it to be about you. It can't be about me. If it's about me, it's going to fail. If it's about me, I'm going to fall flat on my face. If it's about me, it's not going to make a difference. But if it's about you, it can change everything. If it's about you, it can turn around our neighborhood. If it's about you, it can start a revival on my campus. If it's about you, it can restore a family who's, who's fallen, who's broken. If it's about you, there's no limit to what can happen. But if it's about me, it's just going to be a waste of time. So I encourage you, salt of the earth and light of the world, to check your heart and to make sure that this is really about being Christ-centered. As we do service projects, when we do our Fourth of July project and we go out there and we pass out Kool-Aid and, and sweet tea and we love on people and we pray with people and we pick up somebody's nasty trash in the park to serve our city, to make our city better, it's not about city church. It's about Jesus. It's not about who's this pastor or who's this elder or who's this person in our church. It's about we serve a God who loved us so much he died for us. And he's crazy enough he wants to shine through us. And so, Jesus, I choose to let your light shine through me so that other people can come from darkness into light. And I know this is super simple and super basic, and it's not the most in-depth message that you've maybe ever heard, but if you're going to be a Christ-centered family, you're going to preserve the world around you, you're going to enhance the world around you, and you're going to shine the light of Jesus for all the world to see, not the light of your family, not the light of your last name, not the light of yourself. As we get ready to wrap up our message today and move into our time of communion, as we wrap up our service, I just want to leave you with this one quote. And this is a quote that I first heard, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago by a man named Brennan Manning. And it's kind of stuck with me. It's kind of haunted me in a really good way. It's inspired me to so many things. And for many of you, this may be familiar, but I want you to contemplate this quote today. Brennan Manning said that he's convinced that the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door but deny him by their lifestyle. And he said, this is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So in light of that quote, in light of this passage of Scripture, in light of Jesus calling you to be salt and light, I ask you today, man of God, woman of God, I ask you today, young person, Are you simply acknowledging Jesus with your lips? Or are you acknowledging him with your lifestyle? Are you simply embracing him on Sunday morning when we get to come together and gather and it's an atmosphere of worship and it's, it's great and it's, man, I love coming to church. There's nothing I love more than to come and be in, in your presence. But is this all that it's about? Or is there something deeper? Is there something more? Are you going in to whatever communities God sends you into? Is your family going in to the circles that God has placed you in? Is salt and is light? Is the world around you being preserved because of your presence? Is the world around you being enhanced because of your presence? Is the light of Jesus shining because of your presence? And if it's not... I invite you today to take the boldest, most courageous, craziest step of your life 
and to say, you know what, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender to you. I want everything you have for me. I don't just want part of it. I want the whole package. I'm going to revolve my life around you because that is what being Christ-centered is all about. And if you dare to take that step, I guarantee you the world is going to be better. And let me say this. The world needs you, Christian. The world needs Christ-centered followers. The world needs salt and light. The world needs what Jesus can bring and what he's designed to bring through his people. The world needs us. So let's be who Jesus designed us to be, who God created us to be. Let's be who the world needs. Let's pray very quickly.